sermon plan for the day. So as a church, we've been going through a passage that is for a long, 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 long time been known as the fruit of the Spirit. It's from a a book in the Bible written to an area that's modern-day Turkey. It's an area uh, called Galatia. It's where the Gauls come from. It's uh, where the, what we would call modern-day, or not modern, like uh, the Celts. Uh, So if you were into Lord of the Dance from back in the day, anyone? No? Uh, All of the celebration of that culture came from Galatia, actually. And so that's why it goes to Spain. And then that's why it goes up into... Anyway, I'm wasting my own time. So so it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the region of Galatia. Not necessarily one church. Don't think um, St. Peter's or that kind of thing. Think like underground house churches uh, in the area of modern-day Turkey spread out. And so, if you've got a Bible, great, we're going to be in the book of Galatians, the New Testament book. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back of the room over um, in the corner there. If you, if you need a Bible, steal one of those. It's cool. So, um, so, the overarching question that we've had for this series is this. Is God showing through my life? Now, this is a corporate question. Is God showing through our life? Um, but in, in, in really too, especially in the book of, uh, Galatians, Paul's writing to the church and he's writing to individuals and especially in the New Testament, it's easy to read that and like think he's just zeroing in on me, but he's writing to a group of new Christians in process, uh, who are in community together. And I don't know about your backstory, but I'm guessing you're like most that as soon as you add a couple more people into the mix, things get weird or awkward or difficult or things you don't talk about or things you don't do or whatever. Um, and it was the same in the church in Galatia. And oh, I didn't take that out. Paul, do you recognize that airport? Yeah. No. <laughs> anyway, that was from last week. That should have come out. That was free. So, uh, okay, we're in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Here we go, just 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so Paul, writing to this church there, he's not just saying, hey, these are some nice attributes that you could have. Anyone uh, old enough that on your report card in elementary school, you'll, you still had the box of citizenship? Anyone have citizenship on your box of your, of your uh, yeah, I'm not answering anything. Some of you, you're like, no, really? Okay, that's why Wisconsin's education system is, so, no. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Actually, I have no idea. I grew up outside of Detroit, and so get to pick on Wisconsin as much as possible. So uh, those of us who have citizenship on our report cards, how'd you do? Pretty good? Not so good? Good? Yeah? Right. I was not on your team. (laughs) Citizenship to me was the enemy of all things. First of all, there's no test for it, right? It's just a, a random thing that your teacher gets to decide Little Jason talks too much in class and uses the classroom like it's his audience. And his citizenship mark will never be above a C. Deal with it. 
And so that was it for me. For you, maybe you were a great student, or you knew when to be quiet, or you knew that the jokes were for uh, on recess time, or you knew during math tables was not the time to goof around. Um, I missed that part of school, and so I didn't know any of that. It's easy to think about these attributes as things of citizenship, not like democracy citizenship, but like being a citizen of just a culture or a group of folks. And these are nice things to have, but it's a sliding scale. And that isn't at all what Paul is writing in saying. Now, again, just to be honest with the room, maybe some of you grew up in a setting where anything about church or anything about faith or anything about religion, it was just a set of rules. It was just a list of things. Do these things and you uh, won't have friction. Don't do these things, and you're going to feel like you're the target of every message. And um, if that's your backstory, uh, um, that's not the best way to come in close with God. It's actually two-thirds of the Bible. It's called the Old Testament, and it doesn't work. And that's why Jesus shows up to bring us in to right standing. And So it's easy in church world to have lists like this and make it feel like these are the things that I need to do more of. I don't know your story, but if you grew up in a setting where anything had to do with church, you just walked away going, I'm not good enough, I'm not doing enough, I'm not giving enough, serving enough, showing up enough, whatever, enough. That's not actually what Paul's doing here. Yes, it's a list. Yes, we should look at it and and kind of see ourselves in reflection to it. But this isn't a, hey, uh, you know, uh, those of you do personality tests and you're like super high on compassion and not so high on administration or whatever else. This isn't a like, I'm a three on love, but I'm a six on joy. In peace, I'm a five, middle of the road, forbearance. I didn't really know what that was, but it sounded good, so I skewed it high. Like, those That's not this. What this is, is Paul is saying, look, this should be a mark of character of those who are, um, well, the old, those who are Christians. Those who have given their life to Jesus as best they know how, who are serving him, following him, going after him. Like all of the, strip away the church of it, or strip away the politics that unfortunately has got yanked into the label of Christian. And for those who God has stirred something in them, who are going after him, who are whatever, use whatever earthy language you could use that strips away the Sunday school, this is supposed to be the mark of your life. Now, unfortunately, I know I joked and said we weren't going to do politics. I'm not. But unfortunately, we live in a Western, even Midwest nice. We live in a culture where too many who say, I follow Christ with my life, these are not reflective of them. They've allowed others to define for them what it means to follow. It's to shop this way, or drive this way, or vote this way, or whatever, fill in the blank. 
But see, Scripture is great and difficult in that it is calling us to have this be our mark. Now, one last thing, and then we'll get into this, um, is that these are not pick and chooses. This isn't a potpourri of the Spirit. And it's actually not even fruits, plural, of the Spirit. It's one fruit. This is the fruit of, Scripture says, the Spirit. Um, This is the fruit of God at work in my life. God uh, present in my life. God doing things in my life. Sorry. This isn't an illustration, I promise. So, here. No worries. Everyone in the back row is like, what? Sorry, fun's in the front row. Okay. (laughs) All right. So the fruit of the Spirit, the mark of Christ present in your life, his Spirit present in your life, God working in your life, is that you are a person of more love, more joy, more peace, more forbearance, or patience, it's sometimes translated, more kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, there can be this sense of um, Midwest nice in thinking about this, where we have this idea of God, where it's like, as long as I'm 51% better, then I'm good with God, right? And this is, this is actually what Paul's kind of going, Paul, the apostle, the church planter there, who's writing to a church that he helped start, he's, he's writing to them in Galatians and in other places in the New Testament. Jesus is dealing with this in a big way. Like, we have this idea that I need to work my way to get right with God. That, and not work in a like, like super hard work way, but in a like, eh, pretty good way. Any of you grew up in a house where pretty good was a description of things? I'm not throwing my own family under the bus, but my mom gets so angry at my dad, even to this day, when he'll, she'll ask him something, and how was such and such, and he'll say it's pretty good. And Amy's laughing because she's been in on these awkward conversations in our house. Pretty good. Anyone, you have pretty good in your house? That's a descriptive. What is pretty good? Is it not good? Is it good? Is it almost good? Is it better than bad? Is it pretty good like this? Like, that doesn't mean anything. And so I've been scarred because of the fights in my house of the pretty good. (laughs) But see, we have this mentality as it comes to God that if I live pretty good, then I'm 51% and it tips. And, And here's the deal. You can pretty good for a while, but the trouble with pretty good is two things. Number one, you can't do it forever. And number two, there's no life in it. Let's be honest. To go after pretty good, to to 51% it, it wears, the luster wears off pretty rapidly. And so some folks who've walked away from faith, it's not because they were abused in the church or had a spiritual uh, authority who was uh, uh, aggressive. It wasn't because there was a church split or someone stole money or somebody did something else or it wasn't because... um, even because you didn't like the music or anything anymore, it's because you lived pretty good faith for so long, the luster wore off. And you recognize there's no point in this. And for a lot of folks, that's their story. 
And listen, that's not a bad story. Because there is no life in pretty good faith. Because we can pretty good a lot of things. But that doesn't mean there's life in it. And so we can read that list and we go, well, do I have joy? Am I happy? That's the same thing. I'm good to be around. Or, or do I have peace? Um, I don't fight with folks. I haven't punched anyone lately, so I have some peace. And forbearance is patience, and that sounds like goodness. And I'm a pretty good person to be around. And the one that most of us nail is faithfulness is because we are faithful to the ones who are faithful to us. We, we operate under the snitches get stitches mentality, right? If you're with me, I'm with you. And I'll protect you and I'm due. But it only goes so far. And as soon as it's one ring out in relationship, then it's a, ah, you're kind of busy. Or you're not my... And so that isn't, and then gentleness, I mean, let's be honest, gentleness is a little old-fashioned, isn't it? And we looked at this a little last week when we were calling out the lie of culture wars that is so divisive when the message of Jesus is to love your neighbor. And so rather than be divided by seeing who the others are and why they're others and tell them how they need to change and whatever else, it's not that there aren't things in our lives that are destructive. There are. But we've gotten so good in church world at telling everybody what's destructive in their own eye or what's destructive in their own life that we fail to recognize Jesus uses the parable of the log in my own eye as I'm pointing out the splinter in your eye. And so it's interesting how many times in Scripture when I read it, it flies in the face of the things that people who talk about God or talk about things that sound churchy are saying so angrily is opposite of the people that, well, God is actually calling us to be. And this isn't a you stink. This is a I stink because I get frustrated and I get angry joking around but not joking. So last week, remember, it was, do you see good in people or not good in people? And it was the, you know, and so and, and we did the room and half the room was like, I look for the good in people and we could do it again. Like, do you naturally look for good in people? Are you, you kind of default. If something happens, you look for the good in the situation or the good in, pe- in the people. How many, that's kind of you. A few. How many of us, like, you have a hard time doing that? That's me. So when we came in today, I don't know if you noticed our signs down. You know what I thought? Some hooligans knocked our church sign down. I'm not kidding. You can ask uh, Jacobson's. I said it out loud. And then Amy Jacobson goes, actually, it was knocked over. I think it was the wind, maybe. And all the parts of the sign were right underneath it. And in my mind, I just pictured this band of ruffians grabbing our sign, and pulling it down and pulling the pieces off the sign and throwing them across the street and, like, going to get their Maltov cocktails. That's what I thought. <laughs> Why? Because there's this old part of me that keeps coming up. That even though I know the person that God is calling me to be is a person of kindness, 
and love that looks for the best in others and does what I can do that they might flourish. There's still this old piece of me that hangs on to this 51% pretty good life, pretty good faith. And so that was page one. Here we go. This has been beat dead horse, but let's just... So who lost power this last night? A few of us. Most of you didn't. So about 10 o'clock, I was on the phone with Art uh, Sullivan, like, do we have church? Do we not have church? There's no power at church. We don't have any power at our house. And we've got this dedication. It's a really big deal. And there's a lot of folks coming into town. And and it, this is kind of a snow day, but not a snow day. And what if the power's on? And then I was texting with Jen, like, do you want to have this? What if we don't have any power or air? And how do we do this? And as you can see, it's on and it's all fine and that was for naught. But when the power goes out, isn't it weird? Like it goes off for a split second and you're like, well, it'll come back on. This is America. And then if it doesn't come back on, then it's quickly like everything in the fridge is going to spoil. Your pets are going to (laughs) die. Like all of it, right? And you go and you find all the candles and you find the headlamps and the and the lamps, and if you're like our family, you get out the backpacking stove and you make macaroni with your cook stove. And you, like, it's very quick from just normal life to little house on the prairie to, if we're not careful, Lord of the Flies, right? (laughs) And see, it's funny because I loaded the kids in the car about 10 o'clock, and we drove over, and this is why I thought some hooligans, because from Main Street all the way to campus, this whole part of town was black, no power. And so as we were driving, it was like, oh, wow, the power's out. That's weird. And then you get another block in, and it's like, oh, it's really dark over here. And then you get another block, and it's, oh. And then you, and then you see everybody out on the street, because it's no fun to be in the house, and then you drive by and you're like, oh, the corner pubs are serving when there's no power. That sounds like a great idea. And you realize how quickly, how much spins on electricity. And that was even one of the comments of one of my kids in the car was, I didn't realize how much was connected to us having power. And the reality of that is, is that this pretty good faith that we try and do, it's, it's, the, it's the religion that too many are trying to live out separate from what Jesus said in John 15. So in John chapter 15, before Jesus goes to the cross, he's with his disciples, he's giving a good lay of the land, and he says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And that's a whole passage that's a difficult passage. Those who've heard somebody sell slippery, shiny Christianity that God only wants to bless you, make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, that isn't at all even what Jesus says. So if you've born some fruit, if you've produced some fruit, first off, it's not you, it's Jesus in you. Second off, if you've had some fruit in your life, you're going to be pruned. 
Not you're going to just, oh, well, let's just put you in a pot and leave you over there and celebrate your fruitness. It's no, you've borne some fruit and pruned. Anyone ever pruned for the first time and it just feels like I'm killing everything? Yeah, and you've YouTubed it enough so that you know, like, this is the right time of year, and I can prune this. It's not a thing I'm going to not supposed to prune, but you're clipping things, and you're just like, it just feels like too much, right? You've done it, right? And then on the other side of it, you get what? Way better bushes, way better fruit, way better apples or pears or whatever it is. And see, that is... That is a built-into-creation principle. But see, we live in a culture that as soon as something good happens or something good might happen, we put styrofoam around it so that it'll be nice and safe and protected. But that isn't at all the way God interacts, not with the world, not with the judging those who don't want anything to do with him, but with those he calls his own. So if you've gone through a season of what would feel like pruning, Or, what's going on here? I'm being obedient. I'm not going after the things I shouldn't go after. I'm da-da-da. And yet it still feels like difficulties coming in. What's the deal? None of this God stuff even works. Let that shake up maybe an idea that we have of God that isn't grounded in who he has revealed himself to be in Scripture, but is very American. So, okay, so those who remain, he prunes so that they'll be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, or some translations there say abide. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. If it must remain in the vine, neither can it bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then he goes on and he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And so we're to remain in Jesus. The the thing of this is we can't do it on our own. Now, jumping from Jesus back uh, 1,800 years to uh, maybe King Solomon, probably not actually, but to the book of Ecclesiastes. Um. I don't know if you've ever spent any time in the Old Testament or really dug in on the book of Ecclesiastes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, which I'm tempted to teach through, is a teaching series because I actually we are going to do it. I have the commentaries. They're being fun to read. The book of Ecclesiastes, often attributed to Solomon because it uh, the way it opens, we'll get into that when we do Ecclesiastes, but um, I don't actually think it was Solomon. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Ecclesiastes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, in the middle, in chapter 3, it says, He has made, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Jay, how does this, where is this, what does this connect? See, the fruit that God wants to grow in you and produce in you, it's not more serving in the nursery, more giving in the offering, more, more uh, winning people to Jesus. It's not. As a youth pastor, I preached that message because I wanted the students to bring their friends. And that's, 
the way I understood it at the time, but the actual fruit, those things are fruitful. But the actual fruit is the love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, patience, goodness, gentleness. That's the fruit. And see, whether you whether you are you would say you're a follower of Christ or whether you're just checking this out or whether you don't have anything to do with this, what uh, the teacher in Ecclesiastes is saying is universally true. God has set eternity in the human heart. Not put it into the heart of those who follow him, but put it into all of humanity. And how that plays out is our sense of wanting to do something significant. Wanting to leave a mark somewhere. If you've ever been camping with my family, you have heard one, if not all of the kids, mostly one of the kids say, Dad, can I carve my name in that? And it's the same question, and it's never going to change, so please stop asking. But you know it, right? It's the, I want to put my mark on something. It's why teenagers in big cities tag things. Because they feel invisible and unknown and like they're not even going to be remembered. And it's why we, in our lives, maybe you're not running around tagging things. Hopefully you're not. But it's why we work harder or get the little bit more property up north or try to get to the little bit different neighborhood or eternity marks us. And so we want to do something significant and lasting. In the bummer of the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book. It's uh, wrapped in there with Proverbs and Job, and there's Ecclesiastes. Proverbs uh, is a book that says, this is how the world always works. If you do what's good, good is always going to happen to you. Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes is the teacher saying, actually, it doesn't matter what you do. None of it matters. And then you've got Job going, "Um, I'm living rightly and bad things are happening, but God is sovereign. And so it's easy to read Proverbs by itself and think it's something it's not. It's easy to read Ecclesiastes by itself and think it's something it's not. It's easy to read Job. And maybe you've gone through a rough patch and somebody's thrown Job at you. We should stop doing that. Because Job hard. But Ecclesiastes is this. The teacher says it's all meaningless. It's all vanity, the old translations say, which brings up the wrong idea for us. It's all hovel is the word in Hebrew. It's all smoke. It's all a wisp that won't last. It's all a thing that no matter how you do it, it's not going to stay. It's why the teacher here is saying God is the one who does things that are lasting. But we find this in the book of Ecclesiastes. So we have this. Eternity is put in the human heart. You know Ecclesiastes 3, even if you don't know it, right? The birds turn, turn, turn to everything. There's a season, right? You know it. We know it. We sing it. Or we hum along to it. 
Don't worry, we're not going to teach all this. But right before God puts eternity in the hearts of humanity, he has, the teacher puts this. The teacher says that God has ordained everything in such a way that there is a time for it all. There's a time to heal. There's a time to tear down. There's a time to kill. There's a time to bring life. There's a time to tear. There's a time to mend. There's a time to tear down. There's a time to build up. There's a time for everything under the sun except for my Lions to win a Super Bowl. There, that's for you. Okay, I know. Don't worry, we're not going to go long. But the teacher is pointing out how none of this seems to make any sense. So if you've wrestled at all with this faith stuff and gone, it doesn't feel like what the YouTube guys who drive the big cars and have the super expensive shoes, you've seen them. My life doesn't seem to match what they're talking about. You're in good company because the Bible says this. Scripture, through the voice of the teacher, says, yes, there is a season to it all, but in this, actually what follows this beautiful poem is this. Verse 9, what do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everyone beautiful, or made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. This is the Bible, but this is the voice of one who's looking on the horizon, either from the palace or from a place of academics, and says, it's not playing out the way I thought it should. I aimed at comfort. Comfort didn't bring me meaning. I aimed at wealth. Wealth didn't bring me meaning. I aimed at knowledge. Knowledge was great, but knowledge didn't bring me meaning. I aimed at, and we could go down the list. Are you noticing that I'm avoiding the sins that we do aim at that don't bring life and don't bring wholeness? It's not just the bad stuff. That's the follow this list and God will bless you, make you feel good that fills rooms but leaves us empty. The teacher here is calling out actual life. It feels pretty empty. And says, well, maybe we should just eat, drink, and be merry, Dave Matthews Band. But there's got to be something more than that. And so the book of Ecclesiastes is actually it, such a great text because whether you are in on faith or not sure about faith, you can come to it and it actually has a bit of the voice of our day. That yeah, it's a bit antiquated. Some of the things that get talked about are old. 
But this idea of is there any meaning to any of this is ripe through all of it. And maybe you or your friends over a bonfire or a walk or a drive, maybe you haven't necessarily said life is meaningless, but I'm guessing you've had some late conversations on this. It just doesn't seem like it's what it's, is this all? And that's a good start point because you're being honest. And so here's the deal. From this, then, we move to Jesus saying this. John chapter 10. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in. And they will go out, and they will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it to the full. Or in some church circles we sing, might have life abundant. Same. So when you think of the fullness of life in closing, what is the thing that comes to your mind? Is it one more UTV? Is it a little bit more time away? Hey, when the power went out, that actually wasn't that bad. Kind of felt right. Is it one more vacation a year? Is it one more promotion? Is it the kids doing, please, Lord, what you ask them to do? Is it making all the bills? Is it the doctor coming back into the room and giving you news that you were hoping for? These are the things that we slide in on abundant life. And don't get me wrong, those aren't bad things. They're bad when we put them in the wrong place. But the abundant life that Jesus is talking about here, it's not just more Americanisms. This abundant life works in Kenya, in India, in Burma, in Nina, in Fremont. It's not contingent on the social safety nets that we have. The abundant life that Jesus came to draw us into that invites us to is a life of fullness of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, of long-suffering and gentleness and goodness. This is the full life, and it doesn't matter what's in your bank account. It doesn't matter what the doctor comes back with. It doesn't matter what you did two weeks ago to push God away. Because he is a God who will always, 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 as long as you have breath, receive you back, and is pursuing you. Is pursuing you. And so Jesus says, come to me. And if we had another 20 minutes, we'd talk about the coming in and the going out in the pasture.
because I love that image of the movement of the life of faith and what that means for some of you. You could describe it better than me as you let out your animals and then bring them back in. I know we used this text last week. And I know last week I said we were going to do Ruth. Just kidding. (laughs) We'll do Ruth in a little bit because it flows so much with kindness. But to be honest, I didn't think we were going to have power this morning. So in Ephesians chapter chapter 2, excuse me, verse 10, and this is from the New Living Translation, says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Listen, I don't know where you're at with this faith stuff. This hasn't been a sales pitch. I can't have you experience wonder. But what I would love to invite you to see or even be open to see or to respond to is that maybe God is a different God than the one the people with the angry loud megaphones are talking through and about or the ones who only have the list of rules are talking about or the ones that want to get you to sign up for their 12-step pyramid scheme talk about whatever that the creator of heaven and earth, however that took place, knew you. And when you respond to his call, he has prepared in advance good things for you to do. To love the unlovable, to forgive the unforgivable, to have joy in the horrid, to find peace where it shouldn't be. Not because you stick your head in the sand and you're just doing church world, but because there is a genuine thing. And listen, this is my job. And there are more days than I'd like to admit that I need somebody to tell me this is true. Because I've seen the hurt in the world and I've felt the hurt myself and I've done the hurt to others. And so I don't know where you're at with this this morning, but my invitation to you is you are not outside of this verse. You're not. And those of you who've done faith your whole life, 100 years in, you got your, uh, you know, your badge You've been doing this. There's never been a time you didn't know Jesus or love Jesus. You've never turned away. You've never pushed. You've never. Awesome. Still for you. Still for you. And for the rest of us and the in-between on that, may we be strangely captured by the God who is passionately pursuing us. That we may become people of more love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for this space. Lord, thank you for life we celebrate. God, thanks for even getting 
us to this place in, in a little bit of a scary season here. Um, you are good. God, thank you for each person here today. For some, this was a big ask. God, thank you. I pray that you, not my words, but you would penetrate deep places. Lord, that you would begin to shift things that maybe need to be. Lord, thank you that in you there is forgiveness. Thank you that in you there is new life. Thank you that in you there is wholeness and all of this fruit that you desire to grow in us. Help us to respond to you, to let go of ourself, to surrender, to sacrifice, to... God, thank you that you are good, and your goodness is not dependent on my even acknowledging it. You're awesome. Lord, we love you even if we don't all the way know what that means.